Data Stories with Isabel Becker, the podcast that explores the relationship between data and narrative storytelling to understand how data can spark the imaginations in us all and how we can all learn the language of data stories. Rob Burgess is a data visualization designer with a background in producing data-driven visuals and infographics for the retail and financial sectors. Starting out writing fiction, Rob is now part of the Insight Storytelling team at the John Lewis Partnership, where he helps to bring customer insight to life by playing on the strengths of both visual and verbal mediums to communicate data stories. You know the old adage which says that a picture paints a thousand words? He says, there's definitely a lot of truth in that, but I always go one further, which is that data paints a thousand pictures and words paint a thousand charts. And that's where I see myself coming in. We're the words that pull it all together. Rob Burgess, thank you so much for coming on the Data Stories with Isabel Becker podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here as data visualization designer at the John Lewis Partnership. Welcome. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing just fine, Isabel. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. How are you? Yes, good. Thank you. Um, So I was really um, intrigued to bring you on the podcast because we share a bit of a background of um, an interest in uh, language and stories and not really coming from a um, technical background and then finding ourselves at the data insight and analytics department at the John Lewis partnership. Yeah. So how did that journey happen for you? Um, tell us a bit, take us through that journey for you. No, it's, it's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because uh, I don't know about you, but I find we work with a lot of very clever people on the team, far cleverer than than me in terms of raw grey matter. But um, I don't know, I often find in life that there's a very neatly mapped progression of career in, in the people that you meet around you. You know, you want to be a doctor, you study medicine, you want to be a lawyer, you study law, you want to be an engineer, you study engineering. But um, English lit majors, yeah, we, we tend to... Um, <laughs> We tend to crop up everywhere, you know, and, yeah. and it's one of those things you, you kind of go anywhere in the world to any any business, any any field, and you're just going to find these little pockets of art majors just kind of floating around like, yeah. like arthritis. Um, in my particular case, uh, it happened by accident, funnily enough. Uh, I came here from the world of comms originally. I was working, uh, I lived out in Poland for 10 years. Uh, I was working at an investment bank mostly in the comms side, moved over to John Lewis in the UK, also was in comms. And then um, there was a bit of a kind of internal reshuffle. There wasn't really space for me on the team. I was looking around for somewhere else that could use my skills. And at the time, the Insight Storytelling team here in um, in our Insight team was uh, was expanding. And I thought, yeah, storytelling, that's... Uh, that's that's what I do, um, and yeah, actually, it it's it's been a pretty good fit, I'd say. And uh, it it wasn't one of those planned things, but it was quite a serendipitous um, move, and I'm, I'm quite happy I did it. 
Yeah, it feels like, like you say, the English and the arts um, graduates kind of serendipitous situations might be a kind of commonality amongst us. So how do we find ourselves in these kind of weird and wonderful corners of industry? Um. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I, I think about this a lot, uh, probably more than I should. But um, Tell me. I, I, I kind of think that it's uh, it's because English literature is is misnamed as a degree i think mm. a better a better uh, a better name for that degree would be like how to make a good argument or like, like good argument making or so it's not quite as it doesn't quite roll off the tongue you know <laughs> yeah. like like ultimately like like what is it you're actually doing and it's like well you know you it's all about making an argument which is backed up by supportive evidence so let's say you know you're writing an essay uh you make a hypothesis you say i don't know in this essay, I'm going to show that Romeo didn't actually love Juliet and was secretly gay. I don't know, whatever it might be. And then you just go through the text and you just find evidence that kind of supports that LGBT reading of, you know, of the text. And, you know, if you're being really good, maybe you pull from other authors and you get you get some quotes in there and you get something that backs up what you're saying. And then in the end, you come out with with an argument. And, and that's a really transferable skill, you know, because you the book is arbitrary at this point. The book is basically just a, a standardized text that lots of people can be benchmarked against, but you can swap that out for anything, you know, like it could be uh, an argument about politics. It could be an argument about data. It could be anything at all. The point is the, the skill to actually go through the data, find a story, find an argument and present that in a way that is um, uh, convincing to the audience. I think that, that is very cross-transferable. And I think that's one of the reasons why you find us <laughs> everywhere, yeah. in the, everywhere in the industry, just because it is, it is a really valuable skill that not everybody has. Yeah, and I really like how you said, um, kind of mine through the data of the book there, um, because not everyone would kind of refer to it in that way. But that is kind of how I see it, is that all the all the words that kind of make up the paragraphs that make up the chapters that make up the book or the play or whatever kind of text it is are all kind of little data points. And if you scatter them um, in all different types of directions, they won't kind of make sense. They're just words, but as you kind of bring them together, they kind of, I see it as a kind of linear um, sequencing of data points and out comes a story that you that humans have to extract and communicate. Yeah, and yeah. In, in, it seems in, like you kind of see, see that as well. Yeah, in, in data, we call it trends. In literature, we call it themes. But mm. ultimately, it's the same thing, right? It's <laughs> it, it's finding these these common threads and, and just presenting them up is... Uh... Yeah. And also, so w- what you said about the kind of English literature being like um a degree in argumentation and you know persuasive writing um by hopefully that was a persuasive argument by the way (laughs) it wasn't persuasive to me um uh and you kind of gather evidence to back up your your argument Mm. what would you say distinguishes that from history from history um oh interesting because some might describe history as about gathering evidence from lots of different sources and then creating an argument. So what would make 
English. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think actually, to be honest with you, um, the only difference is the nature of the text itself that you're looking at, um, because one just happens to be based in fact, and the other one happens to be based in in fiction. Or not only, I mean, I, I have read analyses before, which take into account historical context when analysing um, a certain like type of literature or, or, or themes that are going on across different books. Case in point, when I was um, when I was doing my A levels long time ago now, gosh, uh, but we did a whole module on um, on World War Two and all of the what sorry World War One and all of the literature <laughs> that, came, that came out of that. Um, and of course, there it's you're both looking at it from a historical through a historical lens and also through a literary lens. But I would say ultimately, there's not a huge difference between those skills. I think the more interesting comparison comes when you then start looking at um, at numbers and data, and 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 then it is very different because. Whereas I might, when I'm answering an essay question in, in English literature, I might come at it from the point of view of like, I, I already have a supposition, I already have an argument, and then I am looking for evidence that backs up and supports my argument. When it comes to data and analysis, it's completely the opposite way around. Like you go to mm. the data to ask questions and you, you can't have any preconceived bias there you just have to say like what's going on go through find the answers to those questions and then when you're making the argument it then ladders back up into a very similar uh structure to to an essay or whatever but ultimately it's that starting point of of asking a question rather than making a statement that i feel is is most different fundamentally yeah and i guess the um connection between exploring a literary text and exploring data is that it's about curiosity and what I think anyway and kind of searching and kind of being open-minded about what you might find um and I think there's something really from my perspective I think the difference between something like English and history and history of course the study of history um, can be quite um, data heavy as well. Um, But it feels like to me, there's more possibility in, in the abstraction that is fiction. And yeah, you you can read it in, in a multiple different ways. Um, I, I gave an example earlier with Romeo and Juliet, giving it a, a, a gay reading. You, you could have a, a feminist reading of it. You could have a, a, a racially critical reading of it. You, you, there's, there's all sorts of different lenses that you can view the same text through. Um, whereas that's not so much the case when it comes to, well, I guess it is with history, but it's, it, it, it's a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah, you're part, you're, part, you're part of a conversation when it comes to literature. You're you're part of a like a whole like a sequence of argumentation that goes back. And you're constantly referring back to previous writers who are referring back to previous writers, and you're you're just a small element of a conversation that's been going on for far longer than any of us have been alive. But with history, you're constantly going back to the primary source. You're constantly re- reverting back to the 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 original source of these historical documents, if that makes sense. But um, yeah. 
yeah anyway <laughs> and I also like in English how there's an appreciation for the relative construction of truth and in historical writing and in the um theory of history it's um what is factual and what represented um the kind of truth at the time but in English there's an appreciation for the relativity of the construction of of truth and um truth is about someone's perspective and there can be truth in a fictionalized story as well as a factual one and really what is the difference between fact and fiction I could go on no yeah we're really getting in the weeds now aren't we but no you're you're absolutely absolutely right because uh I don't know as a really simple example I read a lot of uh of genre fiction um so obviously I'm reading about things that have absolutely no grounding in reality whatsoever you know they're talking about fantasy worlds or, or going to space or something um but even there the 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 context within which the writer is sitting down to write what they're writing gosh that was a horrible sentence uh, <laughs> the the con the historical context within which the book is being written plays into the text uh even in a in a subconscious way that the, the biases of the time like if if you read something written you know back in the 50s or 60s you're going to find a certain treatment of women for example that you wouldn't get in genre fiction today and it's it's just those little things that you you can never completely divorce the the fact from the fiction there that no matter how extreme you try to get there's always those ties to reality um which is which is fascinating you know if you go back and you read early fantasy or early, early science fiction it, it is it's just fascinating the the difference in in approach um to today but yeah Exactly. And those kind of glimmers of what we're calling truth in different elements of, let's say, a book, which we're comparing to um, like a large data set, which contains Mm -hmm. lots of of different data points. Um, It's kind of similar to me to data analysis, where you have a you have large swathes of um, pieces of data and there's so much variety of context that can be embedded in that data set like these bits of numbers were created on this day when this person was feeling this way and this these Mm. bits of numbers were created in this country and not this one and it's kind of similar in that um there's lots of glimmers of different types of truth and it's kind of the job of the data analyst to come to the data set with lots of different questions and bring out the bits of truth that they want to infer and communicate. Yeah, there is there is an element in there. I think the only difference being that uh, when it comes to data, we have absolutely no control over what those data points are whereas when when a person sits down to to write something they they absolutely control the narrative and they they decide the data points as they're writing them if we're calling them data points but if if it's a case that i want to i don't know track 
footfall in 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 a, in a shop, then once you've plugged it in and you've you've you set it off to go and run, like you have absolutely no control over what it spits out and what it looks like, which is um, which is both terrifying and also very very liberating. Um, you, you know the old adage which says that um, a picture paints a thousand words. There's definitely a lot of truth in that, but I I always think I I always go one further, which is I say that then data paints a thousand pictures because like I I could I, I could show you a picture of like the rainforest burning for example, and yes, it's very evocative and and it's very it's very powerful, but if I were to show you the data of like how many hectares of, of rainforest did we lose? How many um, species are going extinct? How many, you know, what, what what's the land use of Brazil like at the moment compared with 30, 40 years ago? That is a far more stark uh, drawing of reality, which, as I say, paints a thousand pictures. But then it, I, it then goes one further because then actually if you've got so much data, you've got all these data points, it actually becomes like, too difficult to comprehend and at that point then a a well-constructed argument words in other words mm. paints paints a thousand charts and so i almost think of it like a little um paper rock scissors kind of triangle that like uh picture beats words data beats pictures words beats data right and and that's where I see myself coming in with the role that I have. And I think uh, similarly to yourself, we are the words. The data is is there. This 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 massive sea of of very evocative pictures that it's painting. But we are the ones that then need to pull that together, find those threads, make that cohesive argument, and then go to our stakeholders and say, "Look, this is what we think is happening, and this is how we need to act on it." Um. So yeah, that's that's how I <laughs> how I justify. Yeah, I really like that. I think can you can you just repeat what that triangle was and and where the, where the visual bit comes in? That so yeah, that uh, pictures paint a thousand words, and charts paint a thousand pictures, and then words paint a thousand charts. It's it's like the little diagram. Wow. So, I really like that. <laughs> that's, how I, <laughs> that's how I think about it. Um, yeah. I guess you can go backwards through that triangle as well, because the whole point of data visualization, right, is that you're turning numbers, data, into pictures, right? Yeah. Um, which again beats words. So it's I, either way, <laughs> you're trying to get away from the raw data and you're trying to make an argument with words or you're trying to make an argument with pictures, I guess, to yes. support what you're saying. Yeah. I really like that. It's quite an academic summary of the relationship between that. And that's exactly the type of oh, I thank you. <laughs> um, insight that I'm trying to discover through this podcast um, is really what is the relationship between data and narrative storytelling and one kind of key player within that spectrum is the visual arts and and how our brain processes information visually as well as um verbally so yeah it's for 
no you're, you're welcome passing that on you're welcome it, it all comes down to um the reader ultimately i think you, you'll know it from, from from english literature it doesn't matter what the author sat down and intended to write it's what the reader takes from it that ultimately matters and that's exactly the same in in data analysis it doesn't matter what you intended to show this the stakeholder in your deck in your charts what matters is the message that they actually take away um and a big part of our job is to try to cut through the noise because you know we're all time crunched we all we all don't have time to sit down and, and, and analyze things as deeply as we should and it's all about trying to deliver those insights in a way that the stakeholders will understand as quickly and as, as efficiently as possible, whether that be through words as a summary, whether it be through charts, just like a, one very clear visual, um, whatever the way, like ultimately that's our job is to, to tell those stories in a way that people just get. And they're like, thank you. I now understand this. And now I can go and, and make decisions that will improve our business. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, a secondary layer of of um of business mm-hmm. uh kind of layers on top of that triangle of of what's going to be the most um effective way to communicate the messages in this data but then and, and that's kind of i guess more of an, an academic or theoretical approach to things but then there's this kind of secondary layer of time constraints that we find ourselves in in the workplace and what's going to communicate the message fastest and most efficiently um and i think that's also an interesting um dynamic that's kind of layered on top of this and that's what tableau does it's kind of is it's about communicating the message as quickly and efficiently as possible is it not it is it absolutely is Uh, it's a very powerful data visualization tool which enables you to self-serve in that data. So when I was referring to earlier about you've got all that data and it's, it's, it's too broad and you kind of need to be able to draw it together somehow, um, Tableau enables that absolutely, that you can, you can go to it and ask those questions. You can, you can have a hypothesis in your mind, but you might not exactly know how to address it. And so you go into it and you kind of, um, you, you dig through the data and you, you pull things together and you try a couple of things. No, that didn't work. You try something else that didn't work. And eventually you're like, oh, look, I found some interesting data point here. That's really cool. And then, and then you, you pull that out and you, you're, you're kind of structuring. It's exactly what I we was saying before. You know, you're, you're building for yourself uh, an argument, like a, like a pyramid on top of which your, your central thesis will sit. Um, that you can take to stakeholders. And, and so, yeah, Tableau is really, really useful for that just because it is so interactive, it is so intuitive. Um, and also, you know, because it's uh, it can be a live connection. So you know that what you're looking at is, is in the moment. It's not just some extract that someone made like a month ago and then you're, you know, it's, it's, it's real and it's actual. We are, we are getting Tableau this year in the partnership. We're, we're currently rolling it out. Um, it's still quite early days but um yeah it's it's starting to accelerate and we're already seeing massive um and quite exciting insights coming out from 
from early exploration. So I, I, I can't wait to see where we are in like a year from now, two years from now, when we're more mature as a function and and just like data fluency across the partnership is, is improving um, on the back of this tool and, and other initiatives that we're doing. So yeah, um, very exciting times. Yeah, it's a really exciting future ahead um, for the partnership with Tableau. So thanks, Tableau. You're doing great yeah, things, Ra. Thanks. They <laughs> put us all out of a job. <laughs> so you said you wanted to be a writer. I did. Of, I did of what? Oh, uh, mostly um, science fiction, fantasy. Um, I am... Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of of both. Unfortunately, they are genres which are um, not very popular among most book buying people. Uh, Most people tend to gravitate towards the same three or four authors. And uh, it's also fair to say that the vast majority of readers of those genres are also dabblers in those genres in their spare time. So let's just say it is an oversupplied market and it is a very painful experience to try to, um, yeah, <laughs> here I am talking about how great I am at selling myself. No, uh, when, you're, when you're just sending unsolicited uh, emails and letters to agents and, and publishers and you're just getting like no response or just a, a form reply or something. And just after like a year or so, you're just like, I I can't afford any more stamps. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so it's it's just painful. And then you start second guessing everything you're writing. You're like, oh, it's not very good anyway. And then you just kind of stop. So yeah, that's, that's the experience. Um, it's tough, definitely. It I is. used to work in a literary agency. And so I would be on the receiving end of those manuscript submissions. Um, oh, yeah, got a lot yes. of and when I first started, when people used to call up as well as email, and when I first started working there, um, people would call up and say, oh, I've submitted my manuscript. And, I, and I'd just say, oh, um, thank you so much. Like, we'll get round to reading it when we can. Um, wish you the, the best. I put the <laughs> phone down and the agent who I, the literary agent who I was assisting was like, no, no, we don't say that because we don't have time. And I was like, what? That's so tragic. No, so. No. I know. You know, you know, they say in, like recruitment is hard. You know, they say that the average CV is looked at for about five seconds before the person decides to like toss it or keep it. Uh, I think probably the average submission letter to an agency is, is read even less than that, I would suspect. <laughs> it's just yeah. like they, they just flick through. They're like, what's the genre? Oh, we don't have any space for that in our in our lists. Yeah, um, it's absolutely brutal. It is brutal. But that doesn't mean I don't still love the um the genre i don't you know I, i'm a huge fan of you know reading and that, that will never that will never change you know and you find uh, yeah and I, i'm feeling a lot of similarities i don't think i ever actually have had the confidence to try and um write something but it's always kind of been a niggle but um the business of being a writer is hard it's mm. a lot of rejection and it's massively mm. competitive. Mm. And because what you're putting out there is personal mm. um, and That's for me, rejection. always an emotional 
um, attachment to what I'm writing. It's painful. And um, every, every, yeah, every single bit about writing is painful. The act of yeah. writing itself is painful. Like it's sitting painful. down in front of a white screen and you've got these great ideas and then you're just like, uh, that's painful. And you're like, how do I get them out? Yeah. And I then can't. after you've done that, then comes proofreading where you suddenly look back at this monster that you've written. You're like, what is this? This is awful. Th- that's yeah. painful as well. And then you've got to like line proofread because then, you know, you've, you've written some like, I don't know, the wrong version of there or something like, you know, like, really bad example. Yeah. But you know, you're, you're just going yeah. through, oh my gosh, like you're like crossing the I's, dotting the T's. Then you submit it. That's the most painful part of all. And then I'd imagine yeah. once you actually do get published and then your work is actually out there on bookshelves, I think that would be another stage of pain. Don't yeah. be a writer. It's very, <laughs> it is a painful experience. It uh, is. So yeah. 100%. Yeah, like it's 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 painful and it's personal and and emotional and I think we've kind of found a similar thing of um satisfying our interest in in storytelling but also the similarity that I see between kind of literature and data is like both feel quite abstract so Mm. I um I deal in my role um as a data product owner we are trying to create value out of our data do I look at the data? Do I actually uh, mine through it myself? No. It's all about kind of having imagination to kind of imagine what's there and believe um, in what in what other people are telling you and kind of work with that as your as your argument in your work. And I think we've perhaps both found satisfaction in carrying that interest through into our jobs as not writers Mm -hmm. but then enjoying being consumers of literature which is really the best and most pleasurable part yeah stories are everywhere and uh storytelling is is basically another word for making a good argument so it goes it goes around full circle you know uh it's it's all about you know finding those threads and, and and telling a compelling narrative and, you know, winning people over to your side. So, um, exactly. yeah. And there is a hundred percent a place for that in, in the data industry. And I think perhaps, I think um, the John Lewis partnership has identified the demand for those skills really well, mm-hmm. but I can imagine in other businesses, they're perhaps not quite as mature in appreciating that type of, um diversity in the in the data department so um rob i want to say a massive thank you for coming on this podcast i have learned a lot from our similarities and um and differences in experiences but the purpose of this podcast for me is is really to it's kind of I've set myself an essay question, to be honest. I've been very English about it. What is go. the relationship between data and storytelling? I mean, that is could be my dissertation title, but um, I, I discovered data after my um, undergraduate degree. Um, and that would be an interesting one. That would be an interesting. That would be what? It would be a very interesting um, thesis to do as a, as a yeah. 
but you know instead of um instead of doing the the reading and then the painful writing of the essay mm. i really like the podcast form because i'm kind of doing my research through um conversation and it's more relaxed and and free yeah. um and this has been a very informative conversation i've gathered a lot of data for my thesis um, You're and <laughs> i'm very grateful um so i hope you've been, enjoyed your time yes, on the podcast yeah and thank you for being here thank you for listening to this episode of data stories with isabel Becker. if you enjoyed it please follow the podcast rate it give it a review and share it with your friends colleagues students teachers anyone who's curious about playing data and stories Thank you.